Welcome to Us Only Younger. In this episode, I chat with the incomparable Nigel Thurlow, whose life story fills up more than one episode. Enjoy part one of our discussion. Hello, my name is Pam Dukes and welcome to my podcast, Us Only Younger. I am very excited to have a special guest with me today and I'm going to introduce him to you now. His name is Nigel Thurlow, and he is the former chief of Agile at Toyota, creator of the award-winning Scrum the Toyota Way training course. And I actually taught this course once, and it's just a lot, but it's great. It's fantastic. And the co-creator of the Flow System. He's also a Forbes noted author for his work and co-author of the book, The Flow System, and is a well-known keynote speaker. That's putting it mildly. As a professional Scrum trainer, the first one ever in Toyota, and the first to have been certified by both the creators of Scrum, he has trained over 8,000 people worldwide. Nigel serves as an advisor on several boards at the University of North Texas, and his YouTube channel featuring his work can be found on Watch Nigel. And if you don't have a subscription to that now, you can go ahead and type in there watchnigel.com and subscribe because I've never seen anyone work as hard as he does on one slide for training, let alone his whole presentations. And with that, Welcome, Nigel. Wow, what a thing. You make ah. me sound so good, and it's so good to be back again talking to you. So, it's great to see um, you. I mean, 8,000 people, that does sound like a lot. And I keep training more, which is really a pleasure. And I'm so lucky to have people still want to listen to me at the age I'm getting to now. So I must be doing something right, Pam. Like I said, that you will spend hours on like a one graphic for a slide. And I just think, who does this except for Nigel? Yeah, it's the thing. I was once told, you know, I know you're going to ask me a whole bunch of questions, but I was once told by my peers in the agile industry, which of course will be part of the audience here for this, but in my, there's only a few years ago that, yeah, this iconography Nigel does is all right for the Toyota. And, uh, and it's actually become a signature. It's sort of thing I do that everybody knows I do and, Gradually over the years, I've got better at it. I can't draw for to save my life, but I do know lots of people who can. And I've trained myself to use Adobe Illustrator sort of poorly so I can hack vector graphics up and, and make new things about it. So all those slides you see are material that I do create from scratch, and they do take an inordinate amount of time. Yes. And even today, I paid somebody to have a go at making me too. It should just be on my abilities. But uh, it has become a thing. So I guess if somebody tells you one day, that what you do is silly or stupid or puts you down or criticizes something that you do as not being, you know, the mainstream or the thing, whatever the thing is, mm -hmm. then ignore them because they're full of it. And actually what happened is the stuff that I do that I'm really good at, people started to get to know me for. And I can mm -hmm. tell you now the slide decks and the slide presentations that I produce, people keep for years. And I do mean for years and as reference book. Very Definitely. Oh, I'm not getting rid of mine. And when I do my training, I use and I say compliments of Nigel Thurlow. And that's like, yeah, he let me borrow his stuff. He's fantastic. So I totally agree. I was just going to say a little bit. I don't know if people know how we know each other, but I was actually hired by Nigel at Toyota Connected to work with him. And he's been a mentor to me and a huge place where I can go and talk and get help and advice. And he's the reason I'm actually doing this right now. All the stuff that's happened that I do after I met him, I can draw a direct connection to him. I do remember you actually saying to me, I'd either have to hire you or take you to live with me or something. I said adopt me. And that was something to do with being in my life for the rest. People probably don't know all about you, but since you were at Toyota, 
you've done incredibly well yourself. And I think somebody should turn this around on you in one of these recordings no, no, and no, ask no, you no. all about when you were younger, because you tell your story quite a bit, but stuff that you've actually done and what you've achieved now and mm -hmm. the position you have at work now and the people you're helping and mentoring and developing the next generation of you and me is pretty special as well so uh, i'm nice. proud that you were part of what i did now you've gone on to do some of the stuff you're doing because i feel i had a little bit of part to play in that and that's really cool oh not a little bit nigel a gigantic part and you know maybe we'll do a part two where you can flip the script on me but that leads me to my first question i want to know about little nigel i do know some of your history but just kind of in general, I want to know what you were like in school where, you know, I asked Stephen if he was a bookworm or did you kind of keep to yourself? Kind of what were you like as a child? Frustrated. So uh, my mother always tells me something. I have re lots of recollections about being a young kid, but I had one school teacher. Um, a lot of school teachers complain about my handwriting. Nowadays, they don't care about it in schools and most people grow up don't know how to use it pen or a pencil anymore because they use a keyboard but I've become part of that generation now where my handwriting is even worse than a good doc but in school my handwriting was terrible my kids learned to do handwriting because they went to school in Europe so they actually taught them cursive script and they had to do handwriting practice but for me my handwriting was dreadful and uh, one of the my mother complained to my form teachers what we used to call them in the UK sort of like our class each class had a, a lead teacher where you'd sort of do class registration in the morning and that person would take some of the key lessons with you. And this, we're talking about junior school, which is sort of the ages of five to about eight to give people a perspective in the States. Okay. And uh, my mother went in to complain about how bad my handwriting was. Uh, Mrs. Walker, I even remember, you see, um, she turned around and told my mother she should stop worrying about my handwriting and that my brain moved far quicker than my hands could keep up with and it was perfectly fine. What? So that was, yeah, that was the beginning of oh my gosh. people realising that I had a reasonably good head on my shoulders as a kid. But then that became, that became a problem later on because when I got up to what back in the day we called secondary school, which was sort of where you went from the age of 11 onwards, with high school equivalent in the US. Okay. What happened was they didn't have the subject that I wanted to take. I wanted to study electronics and certain advanced physics things, and of course just didn't cater for it. And computers weren't a thing. I mean, a computer was a thing as big as a warehouse that right. only rich people saw or giant corporations. This is before the personal computer was invented. I'm aging myself now, but we're talking <laughs> in the 1970s here, folks. So, okay. and I remember when the, the school I was at when I was about, I was probably about 15, they got the first computer which was donated to them. And this thing was humongous. This was all rotating tapes, no disk drives or anything of that nature. I mean, some of the younger audience will not even understand the words I'm using here, but we were still using punch cards to program the damn thing. Okay. Uh, but prior to all of that, none of this stuff existed. And, mm -hmm. and I want, and so your subjects were typically your boring, you know, core subjects, whatever they call them in the States, your maths, your sciences, and that type of thing. And I really hated maths. And I regret it because I'm really terrible at maths now or math as the US would say. This is mathematics, by the yes. way, just to say. I got, I'm following, I'm tracking. Know, you're tracking, so as Ponce would say, you're tracking, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. And um, I got very, very frustrated when I got, when I got out of the junior school system into the sort of senior school system, mm -hmm. I got extremely frustrated. 
And because I couldn't learn the things I wanted to learn, I couldn't access the material, the stuff I wanted to learn. And really, the teachers didn't care. I mean, it wasn't not nice people, but you're talking about the 70s. Things were a lot, a little bit different, especially mm-hmm. in the UK at that time, in the sort of growth period of the UK. And so I was frustrated. To give you some example, I built a television when I was 12 years old, which is something my dad used to tell everybody about. My interest in electronics, mm-hmm. and these were like vacuum tubes for mm-hmm. the folks out there they are. My interest in things was way beyond what was available in the school curriculum. So I tended to be very bored and frustrated and then became very disruptive in Mm. my later years at school, which didn't serve me too well. We'll probably stop answering that right now. Right there and scene. (laughs) Okay. So you say you're talking about electronics and stuff. So what was your favorite subject that they did offer or did you even have a favorite one? I don't know. You know, funny enough, I, I think back now, things I learned then in history and geography, which I thought were pointless, mm-hmm. I've actually found greatly enjoyable in later life. You know, be surprised how much geography is really useful to you when suddenly you start traveling the world working and, you know, languages, cultures and different countries and, and that type of thing, which you thought was completely pointless when you were younger. It's right. not that I enjoyed it particularly at school, but of course it become more relevant to me. And then subjects I really should have focused and concentrated on like Math have eluded me completely when I've grown old, which is awful. My dad was really good with maths. He studied calculus and crazy stuff like that. And uh, so really, when I think back, I don't really have fond memories of school. That sounds terrible. I had fond memories of things I did at school that I shouldn't have done at school. I don't have fond memories of studying at school, really, at all. Um, Okay. So, you know, different part of the world, different era. Things mm. we did when we were that age, we would certainly be in trouble for in this right. modern age. And if my kids had ever done that, and I've had kittens, as they say. Yeah, so, I'm, yeah, so, so sorry, I'm not, I'm, school wasn't, didn't bring back, like you were at school, you had sort of probably many happy memories because you were a, a great athlete. But for me, it was uh, a thing okay. I had to do and I couldn't wait to get out of it. And I left at 15 earlier than you know i just stopped going really mm-hmm. which is terrible i mean nowadays they send somebody around to arrest you but parents probably mm-hmm. but uh, back then i just stopped going and probably i studied more on my own which is a terrible admission but and i don't recommend this is not a recommendation to anybody but right. it was if you like a reflection of the educational system at that point in the uk and my frustration with it not catering for the abilities I felt I had and the things I wanted to do. But it is what it is. I was going to say, I think the statute of limitations have probably run out now, but we'll just just keep going. going. So now you're out of school and you're working. I'm interested in maybe some of the pivots you made, or even it doesn't necessarily have to be a failure, but maybe something you tried and you realized, no, I don't want to do that. I want to go over here. So do you recall any stories as you got older that you you can share? I got stories and I got regret. So one of my biggest ever regrets, when I was bunk- sort of bunking off the final year of my school, you know, whatever they call it in the States, but just going occasionally or not at all, mm-hmm. um, I eventually sort of figured out that money was more interesting than education. I'm 16 years old. I'm in the UK. It's the mm-hmm. 1970s, which is a pretty bleak period in UK history and economy anyway. And uh, so I decided, hey, I'll go do some work. 
And I applied for these big government training schemes in the UK called the Youth Opportunity Schemes, which was to get people, young people into work rather than just not being in work and becoming a burden on the state or just losing any opportunity to grow. And they weren't that great. They paid you the equivalent of about 30 bucks a week. Um, now, I mean, that's like giving you 70 bucks a week now. I mean, it's, okay. it's a paltry amount of money, but... I applied to this recording studio. You know, this shows you I'm, I'm in my late 50s now. And at 16 years old, this happened. And I applied to a recording studio, which did sort of, you know, they do all the recording, lay down the tracks for all the sort of popular groups of the time. Plus, they do the road, they do uh, the rodeoing of the equipment to concerts and gigs and things. Okay. And they offered me the position because I got this background in electronics. I'd built a bunch of stuff as a kid, as a hobby. My dad okay. sort of imparted a lot of knowledge to me. So they offered me a job in the recording studio. At the same time, a butcher's shop you know, where you chop up dead animals to make food for humans, you know, like cows and sheep and pigs and things, okay. offered me three times that amount of money to go work for them. So guess what I did? You worked for I went, the butcher? I went to work for the butcher. So at 16 years old, I did learn how to prepare. And I'm a vegetarian now, just so everybody knows. Yes, you are. Yeah. And so, but I did at that age learn how to chop up meat and prepare for human consumption and i did it you know just because i wanted to make the money but mm -hmm. then later on in life i've always regretted that big decision because something i was passionate about electronics passionate about music as many people are i can't play to i can't play my artwork and my music are in the same category as totally inept <laughs> but i was passionate about music and if i'd been paid more money i'd have gone there and i'd have probably been a successful recording studio technician whatever like you want a producer and i've always regretted that decision for ever for years and i even talk this one talking about it now wow. um, but i did lots of sort of jobs and flitted mm -hmm. around for different things and uh, all sorts of meaningless pursuits and really i didn't thought this trade the thing we're doing now of course is just a, an accumulation of decades of experiences and knocks and things that sort of led me in this direction um, but I was passionate about computers mm -hmm. and computers were becoming a thing, you know, and the, mm -hmm. I learned to program and people won't remember these things. Anybody who's sort of younger than about 40 won't remember, but there was a very famous guy who just died in England a few months ago called Sir Clive Sinclair. Mm -hmm. Now Sir Clive Sinclair was the guy who gave us the digital watch. He also was the guy who really gave us the affordable home personal computer. IBM invented it or at least created it but then it was a rich man's toy so uh, Clive Sinclair came out with something called the ZX81 or the ZX81 for the American okay. audience mm -hmm. and that was the Sinclair computer which was better known and branded in the US as the Timex computer the Timex Corporation licensed it for the US market and that's what I learned to program on and I was still going back I'm a young kid and I have no money so I literally was doing paper rounds, I delivering the newspapers, yeah, and uh, not in the sort of the, the type of kids you see on on sort of Schwinn bikes in the US, tossing them on the front garden. I'm talking about walking yeah. with a big heavy ass bag on and having to walk in all sorts of crappy weather. It's the UK; it rains every yeah. day, every day, every year in all history, <laughs> and it's always freezing cold. And delivering these damn papers to make money and doing other jobs to buy my first. The x81 computer second hand which is how i learned to program 
And so over a few years, over a couple of years of saying, I'd learned to program and I was a, I became very adept at something that we call basic. Which I remember a, yeah, well, beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code for those who have no idea. Anyway, and that led me to play around with personal computers and I actually got mm -hmm. really good with hardware and the old-fashioned types of networks. This is before we had IP addresses. There was a day when you had computers network before IP addresses mm -hmm. even existed. Mm -hmm. Anyway, long story short, I ended up picking up work as a hardware tech and then later on getting into databases and picking mm -hmm. up work doing some basic programming coding. And we're talking really remedial stuff compared to today's stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and that led me into the computing industry. Pause there for reflection because maybe I'm getting ahead of your questions. No, no. I think I knew some of that. So that sort of helps me connect the dots. So I'm trying to understand now. So you're in that industry and I'm now trying to connect you to Toyota and your change there, and then from Toyota, how you evolved to where you oh, are. Well, you've got a whole bunch of years in between there and then. But so my passion of electronic had led me to play around with devices that people actually use for serious purposes in business, aka computers, led me to start networking very casually with some of the small businesses. And one of the companies actually gave me a job. And I ended up running their custom PC production line. It was a small company. I mean, it wasn't, this was no big factory or anything. It wasn't Compaq or HP or anything in those days, but this was a small boutique supplier. Maybe they employed 20 people and I was running that they were the people and a lot of PC customizers out there will understand that they took towers and they sort of put different motherboards in maybe from Asus and different graphics cards, different hard drives and, and different configurations to suit both business and personal usage. Okay. So I ended up taking over and running that because their quality was terrible and their methods and techniques were terrible, which I didn't realize at the time. But a lot of the stuff I was doing back then is sort of very reflective of what I do now, planning, one piece flow, eliminating mm -hmm. non-value added activity, yada, 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 all the sort of lean words that we use now. Right. And uh, so I ran that for a while, but through doing that, I got introduced to a company that was in aerospace. And they were using a product that some people may remember called Datarees. The people remember DBase, which was one of the very world's first early relational databases. This is pre-Oracle and pre-SQL and all this sort of stuff. Another company, Datarees, was doing it. And we were doing all this in the days of MS-DOS. Mr. Microsoft was still a young, scruffy-haired sort of teenager, you know, developing DOS for Microsoft. This was the really early days of pre-everything. And so I start programming database. Anyway, this aerospace company needed an expert in datarees because they were writing a bunch of very early algorithmic programs to calculate estimation for aerospace components. Anyway, long story short, I ended up picking up a 500 pound a week job. That's 100 pounds a day, so about 150 bucks a day mm -hmm. as a contractor. Now, we're talking like the early 80s here. And I'd started reading because we didn't have the internet as we do now. We had some sort of online services, you know, and various other things, bulletin boards and things mm -hmm. called Prestel and all VT80s and stuff like that that were online. And I started realizing that some companies were paying what seemed to be and still seem to be for most people extortionate, exorbitant, insane amounts of money for what seemed to be jobs I could do. But of course, I didn't have this thing called a resume guy who'd left school and bummed around and then chopped up meat and then suddenly figured out I could 
sort of take my passion of electronics and learn to program a computer and then there was work out there I could sort of turn my hand to and through a series of just good luck mm -hmm. I managed to get this job and then I realized that they were paying me and this was like three four times the salary anybody else would get but I'm pretty young at this stage and one of the factors that I probably should tell everybody by the age of 23 I'd gone bankrupt twice by the age of 23 19 okay. was my first ever insolvency. I don't know if this is thing I should be proud of. Should I be telling the world this? But, you know, hey, what? It's 40 years ago, so who cares? You say statutes of limitations, and there was no social media there. I even commented on a post the other day. I was just so glad there was no social media when I could be doomed. So at 19, I had my first insolvency in my early 20s, my early 22 or something. I had a second insolvency. Not a thing to be proud of, but Trust me, I learned how to build businesses, make a ton of money, also spend a lot of money. And these things called bills were just minor annoyances. And one realized that you could spend a lot of money and incur a lot of credit real fast and spend all the money and not pay it and then get into a lot of trouble, a whole lot of heat over it. But I did learn a lot about how not to do things. Again, not a recommendation for anybody else listening to this, but my life was far from the conventional go to university, get a job in a big five consultancy and learn all the how to be a bot for a few years and then break free of that, go work for an organization and learn how to make a profession creating PowerPoint slides, which is exactly what I do now. Which Pretty much, yeah. Only, but, well, you do uh, more than that. You train, you teach people, you get them to sh learn hands-on what the concepts mean. You're so. very kind. But so I sort of bumbled around doing that and I realized that people would pay these high rates for contractors. And I'd, by this time, I'd figured out that was being paid to me gross. And I had this thing called tax and other things I had to take care of. Otherwise, people in suits came and had word with me and would take me away. Yes. So I realized I had to sort of regularize how I was doing things, which I learned, but I learned mm -hmm. it in the wrong way because the benefit of that type of education and those opportunities in the UK in the 70s, early 80s were not a thing. And then, of course, we had the sort of whole boom of the what they call the yuppies the young upwardly mobile sort of professionals margaret thatcher was on the throne she deposed the queen as the head of state for a time in the i'm joking but thatcher was there the sort of boom in the 80s were coming they got rid of the socialist sort of trappings of that had made the 70s pretty miserable and of course there was a whole the country was suddenly awash with money mm. and so the opportunities were suddenly booming Right. And so I managed to pick up some of these opportunities. And again, and I've been very lucky. I had a dad who was really clever. I read intensively and I educated myself. I experimented. I had an opportunity to experiment. I'd studied electronics from a young child. And it's something I've kept with me all my life as a hobby, as a passion, as much as anything else. And so mm -hmm. I'd managed to turn this around. Now, this is not a recommendation. This is not a, an approach I would recommend anybody takes. And in this day and age, you probably would struggle to do that a little bit unless your name's Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or something like that, you know. I mean, uh, but even when you look at the background of people like Sir Richard Branson, he came from a privileged background and had, had a lot of opportunity and options despite the challenges right. that's had over the years. You know, it's not why people can take a lot of wrong turns and make a lot of mistakes and recover from it as I did. There's probably easier paths to it than I took at the time. But as I say, I managed to find out that people wanted to employ me for all this stuff. And then eventually, after a few other roles and making you know a local name for myself, I got hired by a regional airline that was eventually absorbed into British Airways many years later. Okay. And that was my first 
if you like, real serious contract position for a real company with mm -hmm. a real position. Okay. And I was hired then as sort of third line tech support, very quickly took over the tech support team, solved a bunch of problems there, very quickly then became somebody reasonably you know, well-respected and, and sorting a bunch of, and this was around Y2K, year 2000 time, yeah? Mm -hmm. The whole, the biggest scam in history um, because, the, well, it may have been a reality, but the consulting firms, all those famous names that have since rebranded because of bad things like Enron happening, so you people mm -hmm. understand can join the dots, they made an obscene amount of money charging companies just insane amounts of money to fix the two-digit date problem. And apparently on the 1st of January 2000, Armageddon was going to happen. We are all going to perish and the end of the world would come. Right. I remember being in Nottingham with a bottle of champagne, my home city in the UK, and Nottingham in the centre of the, the city uh, with a bottle of champagne, spraying it into the air like the Formula One guys do because I thought it was funny and the thing you would do. And the world didn't end. Yeah. And nothing actually happened, ever. Mm. And so I've been through all of that and learned a great deal about how organizations and companies operated. Mm -hmm. But that was really my launch pad into project management, which is mm -hmm. a long way of telling because my role at British Midland, which was the airline at the time, long since gone completely. Mm -hmm. And actually, some people who've been motorcycle fans, that was the home of Norton Motorcycles up until about two years ago the old British Midland location before North Motorcycles went into all sorts of trouble before they were rescued by uh, TBC from India. Because anyway, I'm digressing. I'm wondering because this is interesting to me, but not to everybody else. <laughs>